Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Okay, here we are. It's Basic Folk, a podcast where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm your host, Cindy Howes. Today, very excited to branch out a little bit into the Boston music scene and interview Marissa Nadler, who is a very interesting kind of shoegazy, uh, ethereal singer-songwriter who uh, has been kicking around the Boston area for about a decade and a half or so. She's put out a lot of great, a lot of great albums. Um, But before we get into what we're going to talk about with Marissa, let's thank our sponsors for Basic Folk. This episode of Basic Folk receives support in more ways than one from motivational life coach Jana Forrest, who helps individuals see their own potential, overcome obstacles and move forward. Visit JanetForrest.com and mention Basic Folk you'll receive 25% off your first month of coaching. Basic Folk is supported by Tina and Her Pony. If you like fresh takes on traditional music, you might like Tina and Her Pony. Follow them on Spotify or at Tina and Her Pony. All right, I was very happy to be able to sit down with Marissa Nadler because she is like constantly on tour. Uh, she's on tour right now. Um, and she it's so funny because she... So she's from Boston, which is my hometown, and the first time I ever saw her play was actually in Berlin, Germany, and the show was, like, basically sold out. It was awesome. Um, she does have, like, a very dreamlike delivery, which I feel like uh, when she first started out, out, it was, like, very, 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 very dreamy, and now it's just very dreamy. Um, so we talk about a lot of different things, including her relationship with her guitar, also talked quite a bit about being a painter and that she actually started off uh, as a, 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 an art student at RISD down in Rhode Island, the Rhode Island School of Design. Um, and then she just kind of was a little disenchanted with the art world and then eventually came to music quite organically. So we talk a little bit about her experience with that and maybe how her uh, painting affects her music. And it's a really interesting conversation. She is a lovely person. So happy to have her on. Before we start our our interview, let's hear a clip of one of her new songs that she's just put out. Apparently she has a new record coming out, which she like touched on a little bit, but like we didn't really talk about it, which is interesting. So look out for a new record for Marissa Nadler sometime in the near future. But this is a song that she recorded with the great John Cale, which is such a heartbreaker. This one is called Poison from Marissa Nadler, and then we'll get to our conversation. You said it yourself, do you remember that? 
so glad you were able to do this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Um, so your mom was an abstract painter. She still is. Painter. Yeah. yeah is. Um, she does. Well, she does giant abstract paintings, but then she also she can do figurative stuff too. But um, what does that mean? Like, like she does some portraits and illustrationy stuff also, but mostly abstract paintings. Do you have any sense of how her work influenced your like early outlook on art? I think it's just it's bigger than that. Maybe her having a mom that out there in a good way has really broadened my outlook on the world really early, I think. Just she was she's just all very artistic, so I was brought up like that, painting from a young age and stuff. Was your dad also involved in the arts? No. Um, my dad is a dentist, actually, and so it's like it doesn't get more left brain, right brain than that. He runs like a very small family practice, and um, I think I have a lot of him in me. Like, I, if I wasn't an artist, I might be like a... If I gave up music and art, I think I might want to go to like medical school or something. I don't know, oh, really? like something. I wouldn't, because it's it's not like it's never too late to do anything. But I mean, I am happy with that. Yeah. yeah, your dad sounds very practical. He is, yeah. So it may be a good balance. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, is it okay to talk about what kind of music was happening oh, yeah, in the house definitely. growing up? My parents were like into prog rock, so they were like Traffic and King Crimson. And my first concert was Jethro Tull and Procol Harum at Great Woods, and um, then the Rolling Stones. So they were really cool, like hippies, and um, but younger, like they got married in '75. So that was like a big influence. I think they had good taste in music. Cool. So when you were growing up, you said, I was absolutely the girl in the corner drawing skulls in my notebook, uh -huh. which is great. Um, <laughs> you had an obsession with death. Um, I, I, I want to talk about that a little bit. Like, how did you channel Where's, that? What article is that? Like, oh. when did I say that? Oh, gosh. Oh, probably. I think I had a ago. death obsession was really like when I was writing my first record. I was, but that was later in like 18. Um, I guess in high school I just got increasingly more gothy and withdrawn and depressed. But it was good for me. I mean, I just didn't really, like, uh, I was a late bloomer. I didn't really connect with the peers, peer group, and had, like, aspirations for greatness at a young... I just was wanted to be a famous painter, and I was, like, staying up all night painting, and I just was dark too yeah <laughs> so when you say you had like great aspirations I feel like I kind of had those too but like didn't really have the vocabulary what do you feel about that I was working on my vocabulary like I was <laughs> like I think my, maybe it's the family upbringing but like I had strict I you know even though they were hippies like I there is that old-fashioned thing where I worked really hard so mm -hmm. I was kind of like I got the connection really young between work ethic and result, which I'm still grateful for just because 
I wasn't like a naturally uh, straight A student because I'm more of a visual learner. And when we grew up in the 80s and 90s, like that stuff wasn't really well known, like what kind of learners you were. Mm. Like, um, so I got detention for drawing in my notebook. And then later it comes out that that's good for people to remember things. Um, I wanted to have a real discussion with you about the word folk. Because mm, yeah. this podcast is called Basic I Folk. Know. So the intention of the podcast, both of the words actually are words that have negative connotations, being mm. basic, just liking things that are popular. And then folk has negative connotations in it being that like folk, people don't want to be labeled folk because that's like boring or not very hip, you know, so just kind of try to take both of those terms back and kind of put them together into, you know, one podcast, I guess, mm -hmm. and one interview podcast. But I want to know about your, your feelings about the word folk. Well, I'm, I'm definitely like a little bit different than a lot of the, some of the guests that you've had, because I really do dabble in a lot of different genres. Well, not that other guests haven't, I don't have like a problem with the word. I don't think it's like a negative word. I just, I feel that in general, like when you label yourself as a genre, it can limit you. So that's why I resist like ever doing that. And I'm intentionally vague just so that I can go in any direction that I want to. Like the record that's coming out on Sacred Bones, um, Drone Flower in April is it's it's interesting. It's influenced by folk. Like you can hear it in the patterns of the guitar and in the ways that I write melodies. Like I, I'm teaching at Richard Thompson's summer camp later in the summer. But it's like undeniably a gothy, ambient record that could be a horror movie soundtrack. So, I think, like all genres of music, even folk, are influenced by other genres. Like blues play heavily into folk. So. I guess I just say I'm definitely influenced by it, though I think my own music, I hope, is able to be broader. Yeah, know? yeah. It seems like labels are just too simple, mm -hmm. and music is very complex. Yeah, like I, I, I wonder why somebody like I mean, this is just a question. Like I've struggled. Like why is Elliot Smith not considered folk? Like why is he indie singer song? Why was he? And like, mm. he's one of my very favorites. And I always wonder, like, why is it more common that if a girl is playing an acoustic guitar, that no matter what it is, is it folk? Mm. I like, because I don't think people call like Mark Kozilek a folk singer. They don't. No. No. They should. They don't though. That's what I always like. Why? Or, like, they put the word indie in front of it. Yeah, I mean, I've read all sorts of stuff. I tend to just, like, focus on the creation process and more and more these days. As I get older, I just, I think I'm better off not reading anything. Yeah, but that seems hard for you to not read stuff about yourself, or is it getting easier? <laughs> it's getting a lot easier now that I, like, I just came to terms, really, with why I do what I do, and, um... I think that I've reached a point where I truly don't care what people think, and it's the best feeling. It must be freeing. It is. Like, I feel that after eight albums and a lot of 
like nice reviews, I can stop reading them now and just try to focus on, you know, more productive stuff because I would get hung up on the negative thing, like mm. the one really negative thing in a stream of good things and it would ruin a whole week or a month. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Productive is the good is a good word to think about that. What can you tell me about Richard Thompson's summer camp? I have heard of this before, like people telling me that they're going to like treat themselves to, to his oh, summer cool. camp. But what's what's uh, your involvement? Um, weird. Like I was um, one day I was on the Internet and somebody sent me this link from The Quietest, which is this British website. And they do a desert island pick with musicians. And Richard Thompson listed one of my songs as a... Uh, one I'm mean, one of my records is one of his Desert Island records. Whoa. And it was crazy. Um then like later I kinda made the connection that I'd met his son who's in the metal scene in Seattle, which is like kinda I kinda skirt the his son had turned him on to my music, so that's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. He's gonna be there, so I'll have to check back in. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, I would love to hear how that goes. <sighs> I mean, it's going to, I'm like a self taught musician, so like, I think I'm going to take a really different approach, more um, about like melody writing, or mm. we'll see. But as you say, you, when you were younger, you were more of a visual learner, so mm -hmm. maybe there are people who will connect with the way that you looked at playing guitar. I think so. Like, I look at it like pattern, I mean, it is pattern based. Music is, you just have to look at it like that. What do you mean? There's patterns, for instance, like if you're learning the scales of a guitar, like up and down the neck, like each scale or has its own pattern. And um, when you're looking at a song structure, it's a pattern too. Okay. So once you start, like when I'm trying to memorize a cover song, for instance, like the Leonard Cohen song, Traveling Lady, the pattern is like every other chord half measure and then the chorus is like every other chord whole measure and so I just approach them thinking about like I think I'm a bit synesthetic um so I really see music like melodies like shape line waves and stuff so nice yeah mm -hmm. awesome <laughs> um so you started writing songs as a teenager but you got more serious about your music while you were studying um, fine art at RISD, the Rhode Island School of Design. Mm -hmm. um, so I read that you were becoming intimidated, disillusioned with the fine art world and all the pressure. Yeah, like, I mean, to back up a little bit, like in high school, I was still, like I started to write pretty seriously. My brother was in a jam band in high school, and um, I was never in a jam band music, and just really like like Nina Simone, and I was in a blues actually uh, quite a bit in high school. Also, like kind of at the same time as discovering Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, Leonard Cohen. That all happened around age sixteen. Plus, like the Pink Flu, like it was like all at once. I just started to really take in a lot of music, and I had a band in high school where I played electric guitar, not acoustic, and like really screamed like crazy and I wanted to be like a punk singer but then it wasn't until college that I found my voice which was like what you kind of hear today um can fun. you talk a little bit about that process yeah like I did I think I was like 
so used to getting a lot of attention for my fine art and my like and it was my identity and then when I went to art school and everybody was known for that like you go through this identity crisis where you don't have anything else that sets you apart and maybe that was the drive but it was also the music uh, art became something I was getting critiqued on and so it lost its joy temporarily whereas music was fun and I went to open mic nights and Providence at bars and would like kind of get up and it was pretty formative experience Providence in that era so your painting must inform your songwriting you you create all types of artwork but you I don't know would you primarily call yourself a painter I would it's funny because I was an illustration major which you wouldn't really think there's like that big of a difference but and it was because, you know, my dad was like, well, well, like, illustration, they really teach you how to draw, like, classical techniques, the figure, and, like, um, you, whereas the painting major at RISD is where I really wish I had majored in, which is just, like, here's some paint, like, blah. And I think he <laughs> was worried Lebowski. about employable <laughs> skills as if illustration has any. Um, but a lot of the kids I went to school with ended up working for, like, Marvel Comics, and the New one of them illustrates the New Yorker covers all the time, which is really great. Oh, that's cool. But, like, I was more of a painter, and I really... It, when you look at the landscape paintings, especially in like some of the sleeping women paintings, they like kind of sound like my. They look like my my music sounds. I think there's just like, just a. For me, I don't really even make a distinction anymore. I've, I kind of, my whole life's calling is just that I'm an artist, and these are different mediums. Like I, I don't hi, have a hierarchy of importance. So when you say um, can you talk a little bit more about how you're, um, when you're talking about the painting with the women's eyes closed, is that mm -hmm. a painting that you did? Or, mm -hmm. and so how does, how do your paintings and your songs, um, how, what parallels do they share? They have a dreaminess, I think, and, a um, kind of muted color palettes and out of focus sometimes and, there's just this, I mean, maybe they don't, like, match 100%, but, like, like you wouldn't be surprised to see, like, the line quality matching the song. I don't know how else to describe it. I guess that's why painting exi exists. Like, I'm terrible on Twitter because I'm, I'm not really word... Per I mean, I, I love writing lyrics, but that's because they don't have to make sense. Mm. So... I've been, um, this was brought up in an interview. This is actually the second time I've brought up this interview question in a, in a different interview. So I interviewed this musician in Boston named Rachel Sumner who went to Berkeley and one of her professors was a curator at the Museum of Fine Arts and mm -hmm. he would bring songwriters to the museum and explain like how, um, how painters would do different things to their work in order to draw somebody in and how that is something that could translate into songwriting. Is that something that you studied at RISD or know, know anything yeah, that I'm talking about? Yeah, well, like about? a focal point is something that every painting has to have. There's so many parallels. between, Like a good painting, I mean, it's really up for interpretation, but in like in classical painting, not modern painting, 
But even modern painting, it has to have a focal point, maybe an asymmetrical composition. We use like the, the like a grid, like the whatever it's called, the thirds or the golden ratio. Then you have a contrast between light and dark. And a good song has to have very similar elements. Like a chorus could be the um, focal point, but it just repeats. And then contrast is important in songs, like between the verse and the chorus. There's a climax. with, Yeah, so I feel like in any art form, even a play, like the more you would just understand like the drama of like a moment, like for a song, it doesn't have to be a story. It can be just about a moment which paintings often encapsulate moments rather than stories, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Joni Mitchell considers herself a painter who sings. Mm -hmm. How do you relate to her? Oh, she's like a, I mean, she's been a huge influence to me, like through my life. Um, my mom actually went and bought me Joni Mitchell Blue among with the Leonard Cohen cassette tape after she couldn't handle listening to Courtney Love anymore, <laughs> and um, she just really didn't like her voice. She she loved Kurt. She didn't like Courtney, and um, she's not alone in that sentiment. A lot I of know feel that she's way. not. I know. I I don't know why. I'm like always just sticking up for the underdog, and I kind of perceive her as somebody that needs like a revisionist history mm. or something. But that's a whole nother podcast. Joni is a painter, and. Like, I got a, a comment on Instagram recently for some guy. I deleted it and blocked him because I was in a bad mood and annoyed. But it was like, you're great at painting and f music. Why not pick one? And I just was like, oh, you don't understand me. <laughs> but oh <my> it's, God. <laughs> it's just like, there's so many, like Bob Dylan started painting a lot of his covers. And there's so many musicians I know that paint and... Um, She's, like, I don't know, it's funny, because I look at Joni's paintings and her music, and, like, I I think I remember reading something about how she had, like, a writing teacher that told her to paint with words, and I remember reading that, and it sounds corny, but it's, um, it's true. The best writers are people that can put the minutiae of everyday life in with um, some kind of emotional sentiment without being heavy-handed. It's the same with a painting, I think. Yeah. Um, when you were first releasing albums, um, I, I loved this quote that you had. I really romanticized antiquity at the time. I was so pretentious. <laughs> um, and then you said you were like writing on a vintage typewriter mm -hmm. as an example. But you're not that now. Um, I want to know why it's important for you to be unpretentious. And what was it like when you recognized yourself like that? Oh, yeah, I mean, I... Like, I think I was poking fun at myself. I was always pretty down-to-earth, but I did romance. Like, I thought it was so cool to write on a typewriter. I think a lot of that had to do with the era we grew up in. I remember having a class on what Google was, and, <laughs> like, it was, like, our AV teacher in high school, and Internet had just really started. We had dial-up AOL, and I think of us as the last generation of kids that had childhoods, that, like, untouched by the computer and I'm mm -hmm. really grateful for that like I would have never become a, such a good young painter had I had the internet yeah no doubt about it just that ability to lose yourself in a practice is so hard these days 
Like, if I disappear for an afternoon, like, people are like, I haven't seen you on Instagram lately. And <laughs> it's just such a drag because I just want to disappear. Um, and I think, like, uh, there was a fear that I had of being um, your everyday coffee house folky at first mm -hmm. I thought it wasn't cool because I was like edgy you know and um wasn't I I thought I was like badder than that this was the 17 year old me not the 38 year old me right so it was, so it was like, a long time like 20 years ago I'm yeah talking. So I want to know a little bit more about your history with learning the guitar, and you're a lefty that plays right-handed. Mm -hmm. Goes back to like me being the painter. Like I, my brother was the guitar, like writer, and he played guitar, and that's all we had in the house. And I think my parents just like didn't. I hadn't done very well in piano lessons. Um, I didn't do well in any lessons, and I still don't do well with any lessons. I'm just not. I, <laughs> call it ADD or whatever but I just um I think I dropped out of piano lessons I took a few guitar lessons from this guy at Norfolk County Music which was like behind the now defunct Stedham Cinema and he had a mullet and acid wash jeans and I thought he was the hottest thing ever and <laughs> all I like that was distracting so I didn't learn much I learned a Santana song Samba Pati was my and then kind of quit that because I wanted to write songs, and I, I felt like I, I, I was not wanting to learn Ode to Joy or how to read music and thought I would have benefited from, like, the Suzuki method or the Montessori method or the Reggio. Like, when I went and got a master's in art education, I learned. It was like an aha moment where I realized, like, oh, God, if I had, like, gone and taken piano with, like, a teacher like that, I would be so good Oh. But it just was our, you know, now we know. So do you still have that stigma for when you're playing acoustic guitar versus electric? Do you have a complicated relationship with acoustic? Like, I love acoustic guitars. I think people have stigmas with acoustic guitars. It's so lame. Like, I um, notice when I do concerts with an electric guitar like the reception is different it feels more powerful strange i don't know is it just the energy from the yeah, crowd the funny thing is like an acoustic guitar is significantly harder to play than an electric mm -hmm. guitar and people are just like oh you're so badass like i love your shreds now and i'm <laughs> like all i'm doing is like putting more effects on and like it's like plugged in and people do perceive it differently so I just, I pick my, sometimes the guitars, like if I know I'm playing like an opening slot, opening up for Ghost, I'm going to play electric. That's a metal, kind of a metal Yeah, band. like that was a six-week tour I did two years ago that they um, wear masks. And so I was like completely electric for that tour. But the funny thing is, that's why I get so caught up in genres, like... They were the same songs, but just presented differently. So mm -hmm. I think of myself primarily as a songwriter, and um, they can be presented in a super spacey kind of gothy way or completely stripped down. And that's 
my goal at least is like at the heart of the songs I want them to stand as folk songs or good um, good enough to have nothing on them mm-hmm. which is why I like acoustic music so much it's really like gets you right with the heartstrings. I liked this quote, my music is pretty narcotic and mellow, but I'm not like that at all. What are the main differences between your personality and the personality of your songs? I mean, and... There's so many. That's yeah. like a great question, actually. <laughs> Nobody's ever asked me that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just such a false assumption that somebody makes that makes mellow music is, is a, relaxed, a per, relaxed person. So I'm glad to talk about it because I'm like a complete nervous wreck with a massive anxiety disorder and a very busy mind. I have like 30 records. I don't know, like I have so many albums that don't even count as real records and just can't sit still. And the music is one of those, those times and same with painting. Those are the only times where I'm like at peace, um, which is why I know I can't do anything else. And it's, Sometimes I resent that. I've tried like a zillion day jobs in my life. Um, but the music, I get told, really helps people. Like, a lot of people write me, oh, like, I, I work at an animal hospital, and the music really soothes my animals. And I got that the other day, or a lot of people say it, like, helped them out of a hard time. And I think maybe it's because it comes from a hard time sometimes. Mm. Um, it's more medicinal as the process of writing than anything else. You've collaborated with some metal musicians and had some crossover success. Mm -hmm. Um, I have two questions here. What do you think it is about your vibe that speaks to fans of seemingly aggressive music? And also, um, do you think your music is a safe place for sensitive metal fans to feel understood, like male or female? Yeah, I think that initially it was the the visual aesthetic from my very first record, the ballads of living and dying, and I'm in a black dress. It was like a careful, it was almost an art project from the beginning in a way. Like I was acutely aware of how to um, make an album cover that like matched, because that's what I was studying was illustration. So... um, I think it's the, especially that record is like a song called The Undertaker, a song about Virginia Woolf drowning, uh, Edgar Allan Poe cover. Like, that's why I say it was pretentious. There's a song, me singing um, Pablo Neruda. <laughs> and now, you like, years later, my songs are so much more relatable. And it's funny, I'm not one of those people who made their best record first. In fact, I... For new people to my music, like I would heavily recommend starting it. <laughs> I shouldn't even say this, but it, like I had this massive growth period, like after my self-titled record before July, and the last three records have been my strongest material. I think um, just goes to show you. I think a lot of people hit thirty and think their art careers are over, especially as women, and I don't think that's the case. Yeah. Um, is it okay to talk a little bit about Mexican Summer? Oh, sure. Yeah. I'd that, love to. Yeah. <clears throat> that was a record label that you were signed with and, like, very painfully uh, suddenly dropped. Um, so some time has passed, and it seems like that was a really big loss at the time where you went through the stages of grief and even, like, felt determined enough to start your own record label. 
But when you go through something like that, there has to be like an amount of forgiveness and work that can give way towards you like feeling better or at least feeling indifferent. And I really think you have to like tap into like some higher self stuff, at least for a while in order to like really move something that horrible. So it can be said of like all different kinds of losses, personal and professional. But what can you say that you learned about yourself and your capacity at that very difficult time? The hardest thing about the Mexican summer thing is is that it's named after a song of mine. Everybody gets dropped from labels, but because they had started the label and said, we're naming this after your song, Mexican Summer, we're putting you on it, and then dropped me like a year later, it was very hard to understand why. Um, but So years later, the the whole thing is, I'm glad I took the high road and... I ended up on better labels for it. Like, had I, like, venomously lashed out, like, about what kind of people they were or something online, like, I really never did, you know. I don't think too many people, like, know that that label's named after one of my songs. But I I think I'm glad I didn't do that just because I ended up, like, being able to sign to better labels based on my reputation of being classy or dependable Mm -hmm. once you start getting an online warfare like it just looks like you're a crazy person so there's a lot of reasons to just kind of it's so easy these days with the internet to just write somebody back in the middle of the night and just not save a draft and act out of anger emotion um it is always better to wait till the next day or the next year even. Um, mm. If you're not doing something for the right reasons, you may as well not be doing it at all. Because I've been making art for the last um, decade for, I think, the pure reasons, it's, like, maintained itself and none of that bad stuff matters. Like, people can screw me over as much as they want to. Like, I'm gonna be making art if if like there's an apocalypse I'll find some like berries you know so I found this quote from you talking about how you're acutely aware that every show will be documented and that it's hard because you just want to focus on the music and focus on the presentation and not worry about what you look like Um, and then knowing that there's going to be photos and videos adds like some extra pressure. And then you said something that I thought was really interesting where you said, I kind of look forward to being an old lady, which maybe was like a little bit of a joke, but I'm like really interested Mm -hmm. in what you maybe mean by that. Yeah. It's just a drag, like to have to be the roadie, to be the driver, to be the tour manager, to be the musician, the entertainment, the merch salesman, and still, like, look hot while you're doing it, Mm. like, just so that you can make a living. I mean, I, nowadays, I don't really, like, I, when I was younger, I would, like, almost dress up in character, and now I'm wearing pants on stage, and um, I actually wish I had done that sooner, just kind of there's like very little shtick with me at this point. I think um, my like desire to like self mythologize myself was really like my early work. Um, but yeah, I mean, looking beautiful is definitely something that like I wish it didn't, but I think it plays a lot into female success of musicians. Hmm. 
like even well I don't know maybe there's a better way to phrase that like marketability um maybe it isn't like the canon of American beauty is the same across all popular female musicians but there's more to success than just being a good musician um okay one more question and then hopefully you have time to stay for the lightning round definitely Uh, um okay so you have this lovely song about outgrowing friendships called Katie I Know. Um, I want to know what your experience with friendship has been like, whether it was easy or difficult for you growing up. I, I mean, growing up, I think it was easy. Well, no, I mean, I think it wasn't until like after middle school was hard. I was kind of uh, struggled to find friends and was not the, one of the cool girls and had some serious scars from growing up like that like kind of bullied and um definitely a very late bloomer so when I finally had friends they were ones I kept for a long time I'm still friends with um they were all like the nerdy bookish types so they all went and became awesome people and I was nice like I was always like a champion of the nerds and underdogs and somebody recent like I somebody recently like this she became successful too and was bullied at the summer camp we went to and she found me and she said thank you for being so nice to me when we were kids like I I'm not surprised like it was nice but I guess like and lately I've struggled more as like a musician to make new friends. Um, once I became, like, I feel like there's a certain age cutoff where like, if you're not in it for life, like you just like go get a day job and you stop being an artist. And I, I saw this mass departure of like lifers versus like people that kind of gave up mm-hmm. and, it gets a little tricky when you're at a different, like, level or, um, well, it's been tough lately for me to, I guess, just because you're always traveling and then your old friends, like, don't know what to talk to you about except, like, are you traveling? Are you touring? And there is this lost in translation thing that can wreak havoc on personal relationships. Mm. <sighs> on that happy note... Um, <laughs> So the lightning round is where I ask you some fun okay. questions that you can give like very short one or two word answers to. And I have, I've been asking people on my Twitter to help me make up some of these questions. Oh, cool. Um, but if you don't want to answer one, you can be like, next. Mm-hmm. Okay, ready? Here we go. Um, dogs, cats, or something else? Cats. What is your coffee order? Um, gosh, I just drink anything caffeinated. But, like, just regular coffee. Favorite U.S. city and why? I guess Taos, New Mexico or something, because I'm not a city girl at all. And I like I like to be away from the city. Like, Joshua Tree, is that a city? Yes. That's, yeah. I'm <laughs> okay. uh, more low-key. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite teacher? Dr. Rooney from Needham High School, who was, like, a, my humanities teacher and had a huge influence on me. First album you bought with your own money? The Fuji's The Score. Nice. <laughs> First concert? Jethro Tull, Procol Harum. What was the last podcast you listened to that you could recommend? The Moth. I'm an avid Moth listener. Favorite vacation? None. I've like yeah. never been on vacation. <laughs> you can answer me that. Yeah. Uh, dream, co- dream collaboration? 
guess like Nick Cave would be one modern one that could happen. <laughs> Favorite type of white noise? The ocean. Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Beatles. Morning person or night owl? Night owl. Gibson Martin or Fender? <laughs> Fender. <laughs> I'm endorsed by Fender now, and they gave me this beautiful, brand new um, Jazzmaster. Nice. <laughs> so, oh, sweet. I'm like, I love Martin acoustics, so, but Fender electrics, Gibson hummingbirds. Like, it's like they all do different things, kind of, you know? So it's complicated. It's a more complicated yeah. question. For, mm -hmm. All right. That's, a, that's an interview Fender question. electrics, yeah. Okay, Fender electrics. Okay. Um, so if you were to have a child, would you find out the gender or would you wait? Yeah, I would, because I'm a planner. I will, I hope to. And um, I would like to like get things ready, like pick out outfits and stuff. Cool. All right, Marissa Nadler, thanks so oh, much for all this welcome. time. Oh, this is really fun. I really, really could talk to Marissa Nadler like all day. She's so cool. Uh, I, th I can't remember if this actually got in the interview or not, but I was, oh yeah, I think in the interview I was like, oh my God, I wish we were friends when we were kids because like, I just think we totally like would have been such good buddies. But um, thanks again to Marissa for having a great conversation. Let's thank our sponsors one more time for Basic Folk. Basic Folk is brought to you in part by Winterbirds. Their new album, Shaker Songs, takes 18th and 19th century sacred texts from American shakers and puts it to all new progressive bluegrass compositions, exploring the poetry of this unique community. You can find Shaker Songs by Winterbirds on Bandcamp. On Basic Folk, you hear honest conversations about how artists are journeying from point A to B. If you could use support and motivation on your journey, Life Coach Janet Forrest is there for you. Visit JanetForrest.com and mention Basic Folk and you'll receive 25% off your first month of coaching. And thanks to WIUP in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which airs Basic Folk, 2 p.m. Eastern every Saturday. You can listen on 90.1 if you're in the Indiana, PA area or at their website, wiupfm.org. Laura McCarthy produces Basic Folk. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of the band Townspeople does our music. I'm Cindy Howes. I do everything else. I host the thing and... Uh, I also like post a lot of pictures of my cat on our Facebook group, which you can join. Um, it's called Basic Folk Basics. It's so funny because I don't know how to use it. And I invited like 300 people that I don't know that are in the Facebook group. So if you listen to the podcast and want to be a part of it, that would be awesome. I don't know how to invite you, but just request it and then I will definitely let you in. Um, you can also find show notes at cindyhouse.net. Uh, sign up for my newsletter there, which I send out once a week. And uh, it would be, you know, my mom is definitely my Lindsay told me recently that my mom has like the number one open rate on my newsletter, which I very much appreciate. So thanks, mom. All right. We'll talk to you next week on Basic Folk. <laughs>